Section 24 of Six Radical Thinkers by John McCunn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 6 The Political Idealism of T. H. Green. Part 4. This is doctrine which democracy can ill afford to forget. The political world is all too apt, falling a prey to metaphor, to speak of the national spirit the national sentiment, the national conscience, the national will, as if a nation and even humanity were actually a person that could think and feel. It is wholesome to be reminded that a national sentiment must be felt by individuals, or must cease to exist, and that a national will becomes real only when actualized in the concrete wills of citizens, a national will, it is true, is not a mere aggregate of individual wills, as Rousseau reminds us. Aggregate is not the word for the organized union of a civilized people. Yet it remains the fact that it is in and through the wills of persons, despite all their vagaries and futilities, that a nation's will finds its substance and its force. It is one thing, however, thus to insist that institutions exist for men and live in their minds and characters. It is another to believe that institutions ought to be democratic. And it is, of course, just this latter point that most concerns us in the philosophy of Green. For that these two things may be dissevered is proved by a supreme instance. Where did political institutions more intensely vitalize the lives of citizens and where did the wills and sentiments of citizens more intensely vitalize political institutions than in ancient Athens? Athens, where at least four to one of the population were, as slaves and chattels, shut out from the Constitution altogether, and where, therefore, one of the institutions that vitalized the lives of the privileged minority was the institution of slavery now greatly as green admired the civic spirit of greece it is not to be supposed that he was prepared to follow even plato and aristotle here hence his problem which is also our problem to wit how to unite the intense civic spirit of the ancient world with modern democratic aspirations how to realize under modern conditions that organic union between the citizen and civic institutions which made Athens great and free. Political institutions are much. To no writer are they more than they are to Green. But why must they be democratic? Why must they exist, not for caste or class, as they did in those so-called democracies of Greece, but for the rank and file, irrespective of caste, class, or creed? Now it is not necessary to claim for Green that he approached this problem in the dry light of the understanding only. On the contrary, it lies on the surface of his life that his personal sympathies were strongly democratic. The noblest feature of his character, says one of his friends, was a serious sympathy with the wrongs and sufferings of the poor. Not only did he hate slavery with a perfect hatred, and glory in its extinction in America, even at price of bloody civil war. 
his sympathies were not less stirred by the spectacle of the untaught and underfed denizen of a london yard with gin-shops on the right hand and on the left he had nothing short of a horror of the growth of a degraded and poverty-stricken proletariat another friend remarks about his love for social equality and his sense of the dignity of simple human nature it was especially to plain people says still another intimate to people of the middle and lower classes rather than of the upper that he was drawn the blot he most detested in english society was its pervading flunkeyism never we may add was there a man freer from the foolish fancied superiorities which sometimes education arrogates over the uncultured it was not even genius though no one reverent genius more that most drew his sympathies it was character it was the good neighbour and honest citizen he was a man who always believed and taught that neither class culture nor creed should divide men those of us he once said in an address to university men to whom university life is an avenue to the great world would do well betimes to seek opportunities of cooperation with those simple christians whose creed though we may not be able exactly to adopt it is to them the natural expression of a spirit which at the bottom of our heart we recognize as higher than our own in the everyday life of christian citizenship in its struggle against ignorance and vice such opportunities are readily forthcoming but of course it was not upon sympathies that green's democratic doctrine was built the entire drift of his essay on popular philosophy in relation to life is to tear the mask from the philosophies of feeling that ended logically in the destructive sentimentalism of rousseau in life we may feel but in philosophy we must think and the appeal of green as thinker is to reason he believed in democracy because he thought that he could give reasons for the democratic faith that was in him he sometimes demurred to be called hegelian he even explicitly avowed his divergence from hegelianism but he was certainly hegelian to the core in his appeal to reason for green substantially accepted what we might call the great magna carta of democracy as this stands written in the philosophy of kant with kant he believes that every man as a being endowed with reason and will is indefeasibly entitled to respect not the emotional respect which it may be quite beyond our power to feel for very many members of the community but the practical respect which invests the persons to whom it is paid with the title always to be dealt with as ends in themselves and never to be dealt with like slaves or chattels as mere means to the ends of others that every person possesses a worth and dignity which forbids his exploitation for political or any other ends this is the doctrine of green as it is of kant there are however differences it is the well-known limitation of kant that he fails to do justice to human feelings and desires the respect which is due from man to man would on his view be better described as indeed it is described by him as respect for the august moral law 
the law of duty for duty's sake which every good man is supposed consciously to exemplify as for natural feelings inclinations desires aspirations there is nothing in them particularly to move us to respect this is his fatal flaw kant wished to improve upon rousseau with whom he seems at one time to have been in strong accord he was dissatisfied with feeling as the root of personality and so he turned to reason but in turning to reason he turned away from the natural man altogether and declared for an asceticism that magnified reason by trampling on the desires and feelings with green it is otherwise his analysis of will is different on no point is he firmer or more insistent than that in human feeling and desire as such and therefore in the natural feelings and desires of men however rude and uncultivated there lie the germs or potentialities of those higher moral powers of will and conscience to which when we find them in their maturity we dare not withhold recognition and respect green constantly returns to this point he is insistent almost to weariness in his contention that between the merely animal appetites and the desires and feelings of a human being there is a world of difference and the difference lies in this that in the desires and feelings even of the slave and the savage the eye of analysis can discern as it can never discern in the appetites of animals the first faint beginnings and far-off promise which under the civilizing influence of sound institutions can finally be transformed into civic character it is in this light that green always regards both the less developed races and the less developed members of a civilized community he is resolute to look at them always as they are he is under no illusions about them he knew their frailties and their follies his eye is the eye of the analyst but in looking at them as they are he insists upon judging them and estimating them in the light of what they have it in them to become for that surely is also part is it not in truth the most important part of what they are and it is because he thus regards them with the eye at once of the analyst and the idealist that he bids us render even to the humblest of our species that same practical respect which we never think of withholding when thanks to the civilizing influence of free institutions the potentialities of the savage and the slave have become the realized morality of the good neighbor and honest citizen this is the justification of green's broad and unfaltering democratic sympathies we said he hated slavery why because he saw in the slave neither animated chattel nor serviceable animal but the marring of a moral and social being we saw that he had a horror of a proletariat he well might a proletariat could be nothing else in his eyes but an index of the failure of civilization we saw he has as a salient feature of his character a sympathy with the wrongs and sufferings of the poor but it was not the facile sympathy of pity far less the degrading twice cursed sympathy of patronage it was the rational and practical sympathy which regarded grinding poverty squalor disease thriftlessness 
drunkenness and vice in all its forms as deplorable obstructions to that decent and self-respecting life of citizenship by the capacity for which the man is decisively differentiated from the brute green was far from unappreciative of the sympathy of sentiment though he had an intense repugnance to sentimentality but it was not enough for his was the sympathy of a profoundly matter-of-fact yet ever-aspiring nature which worked for popular causes because not all the brutalization of savagery or slavery nor all the degradation of civilized cities could shake his analytic estimate of what human nature had it in it to become it was a matter-of-fact idealism that kind of idealism which believes that in beings capable of development the far results are the true realities which can see in beginnings the prophecy of ends and in potentialities the promise of actualities or to translate abstract terms into more concrete phrase which can see in a country ditcher or a dock labourer the makings of a citizen nor must we forget that there is a further point which though it marks a decided divergence from kant nevertheless strengthens green in his agreement with the kantian doctrine of the worth and dignity of the individual though far from hostile to theism kant is peculiarly jealous of anything that implies dependence of the human will on god such dependence seems to him to imperil that autonomy of the will which he takes to be of the essence of morality far otherwise with green to him the dependence of the finite spirit upon god is fundamental it is the source of all consolation aspiration and hope it is the prime condition of that belief in ideals and that salutary contrast between the ideal and the actual in which as we have seen lies the nerve of progress this being so green falls at once into line with those thinkers whose radicalism is religious religious radical is what nettleship calls him nor can there be any doubt that the designation fits for it is evident that to green as to mazzini with whom he is upon so many points at one respect for men is inseparably interwoven with the belief that mankind in their divine discontent in their spiritual cravings for betterment in their service of ideals participate the platonic metaphor is also green's in the very life of god mazzini's watchword god and the people is perhaps not a phrase which green would have cared to use the reasoning sobriety of his thought is in marked contrast to the unrestrained intuitive appeal of mazzini but no reader can doubt that upon his own grounds he was in profound sympathy with that watchword of the great political saint of italy we are now in a position better to understand why to his belief in the value of institutions green added the belief that the benefits of institutions must be extended to all saturated with the civic spirit of the political thinkers of greece confirmed in it by the hegelian doctrine drawn largely from greece that it is by losing himself in the life of citizenship that the individual truly finds himself convinced therefore if he was convinced of anything that the lives of men are atrophied when civil and political rights are denied them 
he felt constrained to work for the coming of the day when all the lord's people should be prophets or in less metaphysical language when the english artisan and agricultural labourer stigmatized by the foes of democracy as roughs and clowns would prove their capacity for the manly virtues that thrive upon the soil of active citizenship in eighteen sixty eight green made a speech in oxford about the recently extended franchise he refused to view it in any narrow spirit as a gain for his party or as the forging of a political instrument for realizing further reforms he took higher stronger ground we who were reformers from the beginning always said that the enfranchisement of the people was an end in itself we said and we were much derided for saying so that citizenship only makes the moral man that citizenship only gives that self-respect which is the true basis of respect of others and without which there is no lasting social order or real morality and to the waverers the doubters the alarmists who have never since the beginning been wanting to all extensions of popular liberties he has a short answer untie the man's legs and then it will be time to speculate how he will walk henry sidgwick in a recently published posthumous volume has criticized green severely for reading into his interpretation of the aristotelian virtues especially the virtues of courage and self-control more of the civic spirit than is to be found in aristotle himself be it so we cannot now stop to argue the point even though we may venture to suggest that the criticism is controvertible let us welcome it as at any rate a proof that we have here an english aristotle more civic in spirit than even that greek aristotle who declared that man was by nature a citizen and who above all others has taught mankind that the moral salvation of the individual lies in the life of citizenship if there are those to whom this democratic faith seems all too sanguine and even visionary they may at any rate rest assured that green was not the man to underrate misgivings or to deny that these have grounds if we call him optimist his optimism was neither so glowing as mazzini's nor so elastic as mills he was cautious of putting down his foot he was not a visionary sober-mindedness as we have seen was a note of his character he was not romantic his outlook on life was subdued even to sadness he saw with a penetrating and pitying eye into the mixed motives the egotisms the weaknesses and meannesses of mankind but the result was not misgivings as to his ideals for that would have meant a repudiation of his whole philosophy but the recognition of the fact that their realization meant work and sacrifice End of section twenty four